The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It does not constitute legal or other professional advice. No one connected with this podcast can be responsible for your use of the information discussed. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and do not represent the opinions of any other person or entity. These views are subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Welcome to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing, a podcast blending the demands of the book with the rulings from the bench through the lens of the bag. Police officers with a solid understanding of the law and their legal powers are more confident, competent, and effective. Each and every episode will examine a legal issue in policing by reviewing current Canadian criminal case law from coast to coast to coast. Be prepared to uncover a legal lesson that will improve your decision making. Now let's leap in. Hello everyone. My name is Mike Nowakowski, your podcast host, and you are listening to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing. In this episode, I'm going to tackle a listener's question. It concerns taking a penile swab incident to an arrest. Here's the question with a few facts as a prelude. A suspect is arrested for sexual assault at approximately 1 a.m. At the time of arrest, the suspect, who is homeless, was found sleeping outside and is wearing the same clothing worn at the time of the offense. The suspect's clothing is seized upon arrest, but a penile swab was not considered until 7 a.m. The suspect has been sleeping in a police cell, but it is not confirmed whether he washed his penis at any time during the 5-6 to hours he was in cells before the decision was made to obtain a swab incidental to his arrest. Forensic Identification Services subsequently did obtain a penile swab. In your opinion, is this search incidental to an arrest? So let's unpack this question. The offense of arrest is sexual assault. However, the circumstances of the sexual assault or nature of the allegations are not provided in the question. A sexual assault is an assault of a sexual nature. A conviction for sexual assault requires proof beyond a reasonable doubt of two basic elements, that an accused committed the actus reus and had the necessary mens rea. The actus reus of assault is unwanted sexual touching. This requires proof of 1. Touching, 2. The sexual nature of the contact, and 3. The absence of consent. The mens rea is the intention to touch, knowing of or being reckless of or willfully blind to a lack of consent either by words or actions, from the person being touched. A sexual assault does not necessarily require penile penetration. In fact, the victim and assailant could both be female. Thus, a sexual assault could include the fondling or stroking of another's intimate parts, unclothed or clothed, penetration with objects, or penile vaginal intercourse. In 2021, there were more than 33,000 level 1 sexual assaults reported to police in Canada. 598 level 2 sexual assaults involving weapons or bodily harm, and 123 aggravated sexual assaults. For the purpose of answering the listener's question, I will assume that the victim of the sexual assault was female and penile penetration was involved. The question provides the time of arrest and the time of the swab, but it does not disclose the time of the offense. The time of the offense is very important, as I will explain in a moment. I will assume in answering this question that the alleged sexual assault occurred shortly before the arrest. If it occurred many days, weeks, or even years before, in the case of a historical assault, then I would say a warrantless penile swab is off limits. Now let's work through the question. First, the common law power to search as an incident to arrest does recognize the authority of the police to conduct a penile swab of an arrested person provided the police followed the dictates of the Supreme Court of Canada in a case cited as R. V. Saeed, 2016, SCC 24. In that case, the police arrested the accused after a 15-year-old girl complained she was viciously attacked and sexually assaulted outside an apartment. She had bruises, cuts, and scrapes all over her body, including her face. The assault occurred at about 4 a.m. The police arrived at the victim's home at about 5 a.m. to meet with her. The victim was taken to the hospital for examination, and police attended the apartment building to investigate. Sahid was found at the apartment, and he was arrested at 6.05 a.m. He was transported to the police station, but mistakenly was released sometime around 7 a.m. 
Recognizing this mistake, police rearrested Zahid at his apartment at 8.35 a.m. and took him back to the police station, arriving at 8.50 a.m. Zahid immediately spoke to a lawyer. At some point, the police became aware that there was penile vaginal penetration in this incident. Based on this and the proximity and time of the assault to the arrest, the lead investigator believed there were reasonable grounds that the victim's DNA would be found on Zahid's penis. Zahid was placed in a dry cell, handcuffed to a steel pipe, and seated on the floor with his hands behind his back to prevent him from destroying evidence. At 10.45 a.m., a warrantless penal swab was taken. The swabbing, which Sahid conducted himself after police explained to him how to do it, involved contact only with the outside of his penis and took no more than two minutes. So from the time of the offense to the time of swabbing, with the intervening arrest, was almost seven hours. A subsequent analysis showed the DNA swab from Sahid's penis matched the DNA of the victim. At trial in the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench, the Crown called a forensic specialist to offer an expert opinion. The expert said that the victim's vaginal DNA would be expected to be found after a sexual assault involving penile penetration and that urination, humidity, warmth, sweat, and the natural bacteria present on the skin could all cause this evidence to degrade, or an accused could even wash off or wipe away the DNA evidence. Because of this, the expert testified that the swab should be taken as soon as possible. Despite this expert evidence, the trial judge imported a requirement of exigent circumstances into the assessment of whether the search was proper as an incident to arrest and ruled that taking the swab was unlawful because there were no exigent circumstances justifying it. And since there was no warrant, the search was presumptively unreasonable and breached Section 8 of the Charter. But the trial judge admitted the DNA evidence anyway under Section 24.2 and Saheed was convicted of sexual assault causing bodily harm and sexual interference. He was sentenced to five years in prison on the sexual assault offense and one year concurrent on the sexual interference. When Saheed challenged his conviction to the Alberta Court of Appeal, two of the three judges hearing the case agreed with the trial court that the swab was not properly taken as an incident to an arrest, and therefore breached Section 8 of the Charter. However, the majority, like the trial judge, would admit the evidence under Section 24-2. Saheed's appeal was dismissed and his convictions were upheld. So two levels of court found what the police did was unreasonable, but did not exclude the evidence. Then Saheed drove the case all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, hoping that the evidence would be excluded. This provided the Crown with another kick at the can to argue the swabbing was reasonable under the common law power of search incident to arrest. We now know that a 7-2 majority of the Supreme Court agreed with the Crown and of course the police, because it was the police decision to conduct the search in question without a warrant. The swabbing did not involve taking samples of Saheed's own body, such as his DNA, but rather was to obtain foreign DNA, that belonging to the victim. Moreover, the swab was quick and painless, not penetrative, and no objects or substances were placed inside Saheed. And evidence of the victim's DNA would degrade over time and could be destroyed, either intentionally or accidentally. The Supreme Court then provided a framework for lawfully taking penile swabs incident to an arrest. You should be aware of this framework anytime you have a recent sexual assault investigation. I look at it as having four criteria. Number one, the arrest itself must be lawful. So, as far as the listener's question goes, I will assume the arrest was lawful. Of course, this requires a belief based on reasonable grounds, subjectively held and objectively supportable, that a sexual assault was committed and the arrestee committed it. Number two, the swab must be truly incidental to the arrest. It must be related to the reason of arrest and performed for a valid law enforcement purpose, such as to preserve or discover evidence. Again, I will assume that the swab was conducted to obtain evidence of the sexual assault by collecting the victim's DNA from the arrestee's penis. Of course, it would be difficult to argue that a penile swab would be conducted for safety purposes. 
Number three, the police must have reasonable grounds to believe that a penile swab will afford evidence of the offense for which the accused was arrested. This is different than the baseline or general common law standard where the law enforcement purpose must only be subjectively connected to the arrest and the officer's belief that the purpose will be served by the search must be objectively reasonable. To meet the general standard, the police do not need reasonable grounds for the search. Instead, the police only require some reasonable basis to do what they did. This is a much lower standard than reasonable grounds. Not so with penile swabs. The Supreme Court added the reasonable cause requirement. More than reasonable grounds for the arrest is required. There must be reasonable grounds to justify the penile swab in addition to reasonable grounds justifying the arrest. Here is what the majority of the Supreme Court said about the reasonable grounds threshold for the taking of the swab and I quote, These grounds are not to be confused with the reasonable grounds required for the arrest. They are independent. Whether reasonable grounds have been established will vary with the facts of each case. Relevant factors include the timing of the arrest in relation to the alleged offense, the nature of the allegations, and whether there is evidence that the substance being sought has already been destroyed. For example, the police will generally lack reasonable grounds if the alleged sexual offense did not involve contact between the suspect's penis and the complainant. Similarly, if the suspect is arrested several days after the alleged offense, the police will probably lack reasonable grounds because it is likely that the evidence will have degraded or been wiped or washed away in the interim. To be clear, meeting the reasonable ground standard is more than a mere pro forma exercise. The potential for destruction or degradation of the complainant's DNA will always be a concern in this context. The greater the time frame between the alleged offense and the swab, the more difficult it will be for the police to establish reasonable grounds for believing that the swab will afford evidence of the offense for which the accused was arrested. End quote. Number four, the swab must be conducted in a reasonable manner. The court provided detailed guidelines, similar to those implicated in strip searches, in which 10 factors were outlined. These factors ensure that the penile swab is taken in a manner that interferes with a person's privacy and dignity as little as possible. Let's review these factors. Number one, the penile swab should, as a general rule, be conducted at the police station. However, the court did not rule out the possibility that a swab may reasonably be performed in another suitable location, such as a hospital, if there is some valid reason for doing so. Number two, the swab should be conducted in a manner that ensures the health and safety of all involved. Number three, the swab should be authorized by a police officer acting in a supervisory capacity. Number four, the arrestee should be informed shortly before the swab of the nature of the procedure for taking the swab, the purpose of taking the swab, and the authority of the police to require the swab. Number five, the arrestee should be given the option of removing his clothing and taking the swab himself, and if he does not choose this option, the swab should be taken or directed by a trained officer or medical professional with a minimum of force necessary. Number six, the police officers carrying out the penile swab should be of the same gender as the individual being swabbed, unless the circumstances compel otherwise. Number seven, there should be no more police officers involved in the swab than are reasonably necessary in the circumstances. Number eight, the swab should be carried out in a private area such that no one other than the individuals engaged in the swab can observe it. Number nine, The swab should be conducted as quickly as possible and in a way that ensures that the arrestee is not completely undressed at any one time. And, number 10, a proper record should be kept of the reasons for and the manner in which the swabbing was conducted. So again, to answer the listener's question, I will assume that the forensic identification section taking the swab complied with these guidelines. I should add here that the Supreme Court cautioned that these factors will not determine every case and should not be taken as deciding the question of whether a penetrative swab performed in accordance with the common law police power of search incident to arrest would be charter compliant. 
The Sahid case was restricted to genital swabs conducted on the outer surface of the skin. No objects or substances were placed inside the accused. Whether a particular swab incident to arrest complies with Section 8 of the Charter will depend on the individual facts of a particular case. So what can we learn from all of this? I think one thing we learned is that the Supreme Court tailored the general search incident to arrest framework to comply with Section 8 by modifying the rules and making it stricter in the penal swab context to reflect an arrestee's heightened privacy interest in such a procedure. So what did the Supreme Court ultimately say about the legality of the penal swab in the Sahid case? It was reasonable. Let's see what they had to say about the four constituent criteria for conducting a penal swab. Number one, the arrest was lawful. Number two, the swab was taken for a valid purpose, to preserve evidence of the sexual assault for which Saheed was arrested. Number three, the police had the required reasonable grounds to justify the penile swab. The nature of the allegations gave the police reasonable grounds to believe that the victim's DNA had transferred to Saheed's penis during the assault. Remember, the police were aware that penile penetration was alleged, and the timing of the swab, within several hours of the assault, gave the police reasonable grounds to believe that the victim's DNA was still there at the time of the swab. The police had no reason to think that Sahid had taken steps to destroy the evidence, especially given that he was in police custody for most of the time following the assault. And finally, number four, the swab was conducted in a reasonable manner. Sahid was informed in advance of the procedure and its purpose. It was conducted quickly, smoothly, and in private by Sahid. There was no physical contact with the officers, and those involved took detailed notes about the process and reasons for the swab. So when our listeners question, assuming the arrest followed shortly on the heels of the offense, and penile penetration was involved, and the swab was conducted reasonably, I think the heart of the question involves the reasonable ground standard to justify the swab. I don't think the delay offered in the question would take the swab outside the common law. In Saheed, the Supreme Court said, I quote, The police are not required to know to a scientific degree of certainty that evidence of the complainant's DNA will be found on an accused penis in order to justify a swab. Rather, the issue is whether, when they took the sample, the police had reasonable grounds to believe that evidence of the complainant's DNA would be found on Mr. Saheed's penis, end quote. If an investigator reasonably believes that there was recent contact between the arrestee's penis and the victim, the swabbing should pass constitutional muster. In our question, the listener said it was not confirmed whether the arrestee washed his penis at any time during the five to six hours he was in cells before the decision was made to obtain the swab. That would suggest there was no evidence the substance sought had already been destroyed. Remember, the reasonable ground standard is lower than the balance of probabilities threshold, so an investigator does not need to be convinced it is more likely than not that evidence will be found during the swab. Most cells also have video. If you can access it, you might want to fast forward through the video to see if there are any overt indications of your arrestee washing themselves, or does the video just show them sleeping? This is something to consider if you feel compelled to know, but you must consider all of the circumstances as you must for all searches you conduct. So how long does a DNA sample transferred from a victim to an accused penis last? The Supreme Court provided no bright line rule, although they did say the greater the time frame between the alleged offense and the swab, the more difficult it will be for the police to establish reasonable grounds for believing that the swab will afford evidence of the offense for which the accused was arrested. As an example, the court said, If the suspect is arrested several days after the alleged offense, the police will probably lack reasonable grounds because it is likely that the evidence will have degraded or been wiped or washed away in the interim. The forensic specialist testifying in Saheed said the expectation was that female cells would adhere to the penis immediately after intercourse, but the expectation of finding such cells would be reduced by washing, wiping, or rubbing off on the underwear. 
Also, as time elapsed, urination could cause the loss of DNA, and heat and humidity could cause degradation of it. In addition, degradation could be caused by the natural bacteria on the skin or by sweat. So what does the science say? Well, there are several articles discussing the degradation of DNA evidence recovered from epithelial cells in penile swabs. In a 2003 case report published in the Croatian Medical Journal, its author noted that vaginal cells shed from a female during sexual intercourse and deposited on a suspect's penis can be retrieved from the penis within a 48-hour period after sexual intercourse, or postcoital. In a 2012 article published in the Journal of Forensic and Legal Medicine, the authors studied 11 couples providing penile swabs between 5 hours and 24 hours after sexual intercourse. The study found at time intervals between 5 and 12 hours, full female DNA profiles were recovered in 90% of the samples. The sample with the lowest female DNA recovery were collected 10 hours after vaginal intercourse. The study noted that the success of recovering female cells on post-intercourse penile swabs will depend on the time interval from the sexual intercourse until the forensic examination, but found that vaginal intercourse leaves female cells on the male penis in sufficient amounts for successful DNA typing up to 24 hours after sex. The 2017 Suspect Evidence Collection Guidelines on Sexual Assault published by the Harborview Medical Center in Washington State suggest a time frame of within 72 hours for collecting victim trace evidence or DNA on the male suspect in sexual assault cases. In a 2018 guideline on evidence-based forensic sampling standards released by the Royal College of Pathologists of Australasia, the college reported that the collection time period for sampling the penile shaft for vaginal fluids is up to 72 hours. A 2019 Manitoba Law Journal article reported the review of case results from 52 Winnipeg police investigations from 2010 to 2015 in which penile swabs were taken from the suspect. The author of the article found that 81% of the penile swabs submitted for analysis yielded a female DNA profile. The quality of the profiles varied, with 50% of samples developing a full DNA profile of the victim. The time frame for all cases between the offense, arrest, and swab ranged from 2.5 hours to 50 hours, while the time frame in which a full DNA profile of the victim was obtained ranged from 2.5 hours to 25 hours. In 2019, a study published in Forensic Science International, Genetics, reported that penile swabs demonstrated persistence of epithelial cells up to 48 hours post-contact, and the majority of positive samples were collected within 24 hours. This study found 59% of penile swabs taken within 1 to 12 hours of the incident were positive for the detection of epithelial cells. Samples collected between 13 and 24 hours of the incident were 43% positive. Samples collected between 25 and 36 hours of the incident were 24% positive. And samples collected between 37 and 48 hours of the incident were 8% positive. But none of the samples collected after 49 hours of the incident were positive. And just last month, in July 2022, the Faculty of Forensic and Legal Medicine, which was founded by the Royal College of Physicians of London, released recommendations for the collection of forensic specimens from complainants and suspects. The faculty recommended that penile swabs taken to recover body fluids, DNA, or other material could be taken if intercourse occurred within 72 hours. These are but a few of the examples of academic study, research, and recommendations in this area of forensic science. What can we learn from all of this? Quality outcomes of sampling is reduced over time, from the time of sexual intercourse to the time a swab is taken. This highlights the importance of the quick detection of the crime, the prompt arrest of the suspect, and the rapid collection of the sample. As a police officer, you must capture the opportunity for obtaining a penile swab as soon as possible to prevent the degradation or loss of the forensic evidence. Time is of the essence in these cases. I know it took a while for me to answer the question, but often it is not as easy as a simple yes or no. Often the answer starts with a maybe and progresses from there. 
I have put links to the Saheed case and the other articles I mentioned in the episode notes if you want to dig deeper into this topic. At the end of the day, you will need to make a call whether to conduct a penile swab or not. And, because time is of the essence, you may not have the luxury to ponder and reflect on the question. If you do obtain the swab, you know it will be presumptively unreasonable and you will need to justify it. By understanding the rules of swabbing as explained in Saheed, you can prepare for the defense attack. There are four areas of challenge. Number one, your arrest. Ensure it is solid. Know your grounds. Number two, why did you swab? You know you need a legitimate law enforcement purpose. Securing evidence and preventing its loss is one such objective. Number three, why did you believe such evidence would exist? Have a good appreciation for the nature of the allegations. Was penile penetration involved? How much time elapsed from the time of intercourse to the time of swabbing? Did you have any knowledge of the suspect washing? You don't need to be a forensic expert yourself, but you must act reasonably. Number four, follow the guidelines outlined in Sahid. Make good notes about what you did and why you did it. And finally, read the case for yourself. One last thing worth mentioning. As a practical reality, penile swabs are likely to contain bodily substances of the arrestee from which his DNA could be obtained. As a safeguard against allowing the police to make an end run around the warrant requirement in collecting an arrestee's DNA, the Supreme Court made it clear that any DNA belonging to the arrestee collected without a warrant or without their consent through a penile swab cannot be used for any purpose. So you can't send it to the DNA data bank or use it for other or future crimes. Now this goes back to you, the listener. Do you think your fact pattern would justify the penile swab as a search incidental to arrest? The sexual assault arrest occurred at 1 a.m. A suspect who was homeless was found sleeping outside and was wearing the same clothing worn at the time of the offense. A penile swab was not considered until 7 a.m., presumably taken at that time. While in custody, the suspect was sleeping in the cell. Assuming penile penetration occurred, a lawful arrest followed on the heels of the offense, shortly thereafter, and there was no evidence he washed his penis at any time during the five to six hours he was in cells, I think a swab incident to arrest, properly argued, would withstand constitutional scrutiny. At this time, I would like to thank the listener for their question. If you think this podcast would interest others, please share it. And if you have a topic you would like discussed in a future episode, you can email me at legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. That's legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And remember, be careful what you practice. You might get good at it. Be smart and stay safe.